I do enjoy history. I always have. I always will. And so like everything else or like a lot of other things, the approach that I take, I always want to, when I'm studying something, I always want to kind of look into the background to see what the origins are and uh, where things got started. And I I did that uh, today or this in the past couple of weeks, kind of looking into the history surrounding the Christmas tree. Uh, I brought a picture of a Christmas tree. You probably have decorated, hopefully you've decorated your Christmas tree by now. If not, you've got a little bit of time left. Uh, but do you ever think about where the tr- Christmas tree got its start? It, uh, there's a couple of, of stories that, that uh, are the basis for the origination of the Christmas tree. It's been the evergreen fir has been used uh, for years and years and years by not just Christians, but pagans uh, for different festivals, for celebrations. Uh, one, the, the win- winter festival, uh, the solstice winter festival, just by uh, secular uh, pagan groups used the evergreen to celebrate, to decorate like their houses because uh, they were anxious for spring and it reminded them of spring. Romans and kind of like a precursor to Christmas, uh, a winter celebration around December, around that time of year, they would use the fir trees to decorate uh, temples, their temples. And of course, Christians, we've always used the Christmas tree to symbolize eternal life. I mean, the evergreen tree to symbolize eternal life. But if you look back in history, the first time uh, that you see a Christmas tree brought inside a house... Uh, which is really kind of the origination of how we use the Christmas tree. The first time that happened, it's attributed to Martin Luther. It said that he was walking home one night, wintertime. He was passing through uh, some trees, some wooded area, and he looked up through the trees and could see the stars through the trees, through the evergreen trees. And so he said it reminded him of the fact that Jesus left the stars of heaven to come to earth. So he cut down a tree, took it in the house, they decorated it, and uh, he and his family celebrated the fact that Jesus came to earth, was born. There's another story about St. Boniface who said, it said that he was, he had gone to Germany to preach the gospel and he came up on uh, some individuals worshiping by worshiping a false god, by sacrificing, about to sacrifice a young boy tied to an oak tree because they were worshiping the oak tree. And so he responded by cutting down the oak tree. And not too long after that, an evergreen sprouted up, grew up in its place. And he took that as a sign that that the Lord, that Christianity, that Jesus Christ was the Lord. And so he responded to that by celebrating uh, and using that tree, the evergreen tree, to celebrate. There's a lot of different stories, a lot of different uh, um, attribute, people that are attributed with beginning the, the celebration. The thing that's clear is that it is the evergreen tree. It represents everlasting life. It represents Jesus Christ. You know, Santa Claus, uh, where did he get his start? Well, St. Nicholas in 4th century B.C., was a guy that was well-known because he was wealthy. His parents had passed away and left him a lot of money, and he was well-known for giving gifts to people that needed it. 
that were poor, that couldn't afford. And there's one story in particular that shows, that says how we began to, the, the tradition of hanging stockings by the fireplace. You ever wonder why we do that? Well, this guy was, uh, had three daughters, very poor, and during this day and time, still happens in some places in the world, you had to pay a dowry to the, the bridegroom. The bride's family would pay an amount of money to the bridegroom, basically to have their daughter married. And if you didn't have that money, the chances of your daughter being married were very slim. This guy had three daughters, he had no money. Well, St. Nicholas found out about this, and one night at Christmas time. He climbed up on the roof of this guy's house and dropped a bag of gold down the fireplace. Just so happens that they had hung some stockings inside the fireplace next to the fire to dry and the gold fell in the stocking. And so that's how we got the tradition of putting gifts in stockings. Uh, on the fireplace, hanging them by the fireplace. And it was that he became so well known for doing this type of thing that now, of course, you get a, a surprise gift, an unexpected gift, and it's St. Nicholas who gave you that gift. You know, we have history behind everything that we do and everything around Christmas. We have traditions that we do. We have big traditions, things that we celebrate every year. And even those traditions, those people and their traditions, all they all have their origin in Christ. I mean, Christmas is about Jesus. He is the center of the season. He is the reason that we celebrate. And he is the originator, not only of Christmas, but of all of life. And so this morning, we continue. We took a break last week, of course, for our Christmas musical. And we continue today with this series, The Names of Jesus, where we've looked at the names given to the Messiah and Isaiah. And we've, we've talked about uh, what those represent, and today we move on to the name Eternal Father. He'll be called Eternal Father. That is the name that's given. And so when we look at that name in the Bible, the word Father is used for a lot of reasons, but among other things, it's used to mean originator. Uh, talking about where things originate, traditions, uh, celebrations. Well, the word father is used to mean originator. When we look in Genesis chapter 4, verse 20, we read that Jabal was the father of such as dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. And Jubal was the father of all who play the harp and flute. In other words, he is the originator of those. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. In John chapter 8, 44, the originator of lies. And so when we see in Isaiah the name given to the Messiah of everlasting father, then that represents the fact that he is, Jesus is the originator of everlasting life. He is the original. He is, he, he is where it begins. He makes it possible. But then also that intimate name, Father, represents the fact that Jesus wants to have an intimate father-son relationship with his children. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about the name Everlasting or Eternal Father. So this morning, as we continue this walk through the names given to the Messiah, given to Jesus, we're going to look at the characteristics 
of this name, the originator of everlasting life, but the intimate father-child relationship that comes with that, that he desires for us to experience with him. What are the characteristics of this father-child relationship? Well, first, the father-child relationship is an intimate relationship. Number one, it is God wants you and me to experience an intimate relationship with him. He created us for his glory, yes, but he created us for a relationship with him. And we, he wants us to experience sin messes that up. We can't as long as we are in sin, lost in sin, but through salvation, we can experience an intimate relationship with, with God. And talking about father as the originator, well, our heavenly father is the originator of life, of all forms of life, both birth and everlasting life, salvation, physical life, and spiritual life. It begins with him. It's made possible by him. Without God, there is no life, whether it be being born or being saved and rescued from sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that is the result, the payment for our sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He makes it possible. He gives us, he breathes life into us, created us from nothing, created man from nothing, but also he makes it possible for us to have eternal life. So he is the originator of life, and, and this, this changes everything. This is so important because this adds this intimate dimension. God gave us the gift of life, and that gift is grounded in love. Now, you may think that seems like an obvious statement, and, and yes, it is when you understand God to be loved, but when you think about that, it changes everything. God didn't create man to have a bunch of puppets to lord over and to just watch us fumble through life and, and to, to take some kind of sick amusement from that. He didn't create a bunch of robots just to, to, to accomplish certain things and to keep distance from I mean, yes, we are here to serve him, and yes, he is Lord over us, but he created us so that we could experience relationship with him. He created us, and even the creation was motivated by love. God is love, and he wants us to be the object of that love. He wants us to experience that love. And then even when we sin, when we were lost in sin, because of his love, Scripture tells us, he didn't leave us in sin. He provided a way for us to be reunited with him, to be reconnected with him. He is the originator of life. He gives us life, and that gift, both physical and eternal, is grounded in his love. John said this in 1 John 3, 1, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to him who belong to this world, rather, don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. I mean, the, the evidence of the Father's love for us is that he calls us his children, that he saved us. And this relationship that we have with God, this intimate relationship, it involves so many things, but on, from, from him, it, is, it can be characterized by sharing and sacrifice. When you think about what God has done for us, did you know 
uh, you know, the official flower of Father's Day is the dandelion. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons is, you know, it's the, 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 the symbol, the, the more you trample on a dandelion, the more it grows. That's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not an abusive attitude, but the point is that, that our love is not conditional, right? Uh, it's not, you know, and sometimes it feels that way as dads, right? Your kids you know, might trample on your, your feelings a little bit, but your love is supposed to be the same. And that's certainly the case with God the Father. Um, you know, his love doesn't grow for us because his love is perfect, but it doesn't, his love's not conditional on what we do or don't do. It's not dependent upon our actions. I mean, you think about all those of you that have kids, think about uh, all of the things that your kids do that if you based your love for them on their actions would affect that love for them. But we as parents don't love our kids because of of what they do. We love them because they're our kids. Our love for them is not dependent upon their actions. And that is, is, is an example. It's one of the ways God gives us uh, the, the, this little glimpse, small glimpse into his perfect love for us, a small understanding of what he has. I mean, think of all that God has shared with us, sharing and sacrifice. Think of all that he has sacrificed for us. Yet he continues. And, and, and how many times have we, have we shown our lack of appreciation for that by sinning and falling short and doing things we know we shouldn't do, yet he continues to love us with an everlasting love? His love is perfect, and he loves us intimately. This is an intimate relationship. Um, the father-child relationship is an infinite relationship as well. Another characteristic that we see represented in the, the heavenly father-child relationship as well. Infinite. Our heavenly father establishes eternal life for us. We've, we, we've, we've talked about that. He is the originator of life. The word father, originator. He originates life, but he originates. he is the originator of eternal life. John 1.12, we read this. But to all who believed him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. He, if we trust him, he accepts us. I mean, you know, he is freely giving, offering eternal life to those who will accept him. And if we accept him, we become his children. And, and why did he give this right? Of course, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He gave it because he loves. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He, his gift motivated by love and the eternal life that he gives, again, is, it emanates from that love. I mean, it is, it is all motivated by his love for God so loved. Look at Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with what type of love? an everlasting love. And long ago, he's saying, there's never been a time where I didn't love you. I mean, it's eternal. It's everlasting. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Eternal and unfailing. I've loved you with an everlasting, with an eternal love. It, it's an unfailing love, Jeremiah communicates God's word to us. So what does this mean? Well, I mean, simply, it's, it means that God's love for us, three things, it will never end, it will never fail, and there's nothing that can change that. Nothing. 
When God, again, looking at Jeremiah 31, from long ago, from eternity past, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You put all that together from long ago, how long? Well, an everlasting love, forever. Eternity past through eternity, I've loved you. It will never end. It will never fail. I mean, there are people in the world that will let you down, right? And there are people that you thought you could trust, that you thought truly loved you, who ended up hurting you in some way. Some of us have experienced that. Well, you don't have to worry about that with God. It'll never fail. There are people who have certain affections for you based on what you can do for them, right? They're loyal to you based on what you do, or they have uh, affection based on, you know, what they get in return. I mean, we're all like that to a certain degree because we're imperfect, but you don't have to worry about that with God. Nothing will change his love for you. It never ends, it never fails, and nothing can change that. It's just, you know, and again, the father-child relationship, our love for our kids, as imperfect as we are, this is the closest we come to that because our love for our children is not determined or dependent upon their actions. It doesn't, it, that what they do or don't do, I mean, we get mad at them, we get frustrated with them, when they do things that, that they're not supposed to, especially after we've told them, you know, 300 times, don't do that. And they do it anyway, but that doesn't change our love for them. And, and God, as our eternal father, it's the same with us. I, you, I mean, yes, we can grieve the spirit. Yes, God disciplines us when we do things wrong, but it doesn't change his love for us. His love doesn't change. It is never ending, it's never failing, and nothing we can do can change his love for us. I don't know why th this popped into my head this week, but you know, thinking about things that, that, that my kids have done through the years, uh, I was thinking, uh, I think I had this in my notes uh, in this passage where I had taught it before, and and I remember, you know, all of my kids, you know, they have stories I could tell, but, but Annie has always taken life with a certain amount of gusto. Um, she's just, she came into this world making a statement about, you know, she was going to get attention and, and she's always been that way. And she's always been very active and very into things. And one time we were, my parents were camping. They liked to camp and we were at the campground and, and, and my dad was getting ready to hook up the camper to go. And all of a sudden, uh, Annie comes around the corner and she's covered with grease from head to toe. Um, and, you know, he puts grease on the hitch to, to, make, to, to reduce friction, and she'd been playing with the hitch. Well, we thought that's all that it was, that she had just been playing with the hitch. Well, my dad hooked everything up, got almost out of the parking lot, and the camper came disconnected from the truck because not only had she been playing with the hitch, she had pulled the pin out of the hitch, and we didn't know that. Needless to say, my dad was a little frustrated with my youngest daughter. And I don't, that just, again, that, I thought of that this week and I thought, you know, how many times do our kids do things that just drive us insane? Yet, you know, as frustrated as we were, as my dad was, I thought it was a little bit funny because nobody was hurt. But I mean, it's still, I mean, that, that doesn't change your love for your child, right? I mean, things like that. And we could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about all the things those of us who have kids, our kids have done, but our love for them is not dependent upon our actions, on, on their actions. And we are imperfect at best at how we love our kids. 
Um, God is perfect in his love. It grows. Uh, it doesn't grow because it's perfect, but it is, uh, we experience it more the more we know him. There's nothing we or anybody else can do can change the fact that God loves us. He is everlasting. His love is everlasting. It matches his character. And this relationship that we have with him is infinite. Number three, the third characteristic. The father-child relationship is an indestructible relationship. It's indestructible. You're catching a theme here, right? Indestructible. The relationship that we have with God is secured And the characteristics of salvation, now think about what are the characteristics of salvation. Two main characteristics jump out to me. Uh, As you look at at what salvation is, one, number one is that it it originates with God. It's his salvation. It's not mine. I didn't accomplish it. You didn't accomplish it. It's his. Think about who God is, eternal, everlasting father. So who he is as eternal God, constant, ever faithful, ever true, always dependable, it being his salvation says something. That he accomplished it says a lot about that salvation. It is his. It is, he accomplished it. Psalm 13 verse 5, David says this, he says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That's an important distinction. Your salvation. Another characteristic, so God is eternal, he is God, he accomplished it, so you know it's good, you know it was done right, but then also the other characteristic of salvation is unfailing love, all that we've talked about to this point, the everlasting father, his love, unmerited and unfailing, unfailing love, so when you put that together, a salvation that is perfect was done perfectly because it was done by a perfect God, the only way that it could have been, matched with unfailing, everlasting love. So eternal security, eternal Father, eternal salvation. there's There's no expiration date on salvation. It is true, it is sure, and it is eternal. Because of his unfailing love, God was unwilling to leave us in sin, which is one of the amazing miracles of mankind, of all of creation. John 10, 28, Jesus said this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. No one can change that. An amazing truth from that verse is that Jesus saves us and then he keeps us by his power because of his unfailing love. It's all motivated in love. He doesn't have to save us. And he doesn't have to keep us, but he does, and he does both because of his unfailing love. An interview several years ago, Barbara Streisand did an interview. And in that interview, she, she quoted something that a friend had told her about eternity. She said, someone said to me, hopefully when you die and go to heaven and God is at the gate and he asks you a question, the question is not how well were you loved, but how well did you love? You know, I think I've got a pretty good amount of, a pretty good capacity for love. I mean, I, 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 I like to think that I have, I love a lot and I've got a lot more room to love, to grow in love. But I'm so very thankful that when I get to heaven, when I get to judgment, that my entrance into heaven is not going to be dependent upon how well I loved. It is all 
about how well I was loved. Jesus Christ, God loved the world so much, he loved me so much that he died for me. That's love. It is about how well you were loved and whether or not you accepted that love, whether or not you accepted salvation that is only available through Christ. It's not dependent upon us. Nothing changes our salvation, and there's nothing we can do to be saved. The fact that salvation is accomplished by God and that it's based on his unfailing love should provide a tremendous amount of security for us and comfort. And it should motivate us to be bold in our faith and our living for him. There is security in salvation because of those characteristics. Something else that should make us confident and secure is the fact that our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the seal of the Spirit to prove our salvation to give us assurance of salvation, among other things. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, Paul said, Now it is God who makes, us bo- makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, the Holy Spirit. Put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know, I've been to Washington, D.C. a few times, and I've been to Arlington National Cemetery a couple of times, and it's always, and I know many of you have been there, it's always an amazing, humbling experience. Uh, the changing of the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown. Um, but, uh, you know, one of, one of the places that you, you always want to visit that I've visited is, of course, uh, the gravesite, JFK's gravesite, the, the Eternal Flame. Uh, it's an amazing experience. And of course, Jackie Kennedy had that place there, the eternal flame, to remind everyone forever that, that John F. Kennedy gave his life for his country. It's an eternal flame. It's a seal. It's a symbol of the fact that, Jesus, uh, that, that he gave his life. Well, for us, the Holy Spirit is that for what Jesus did for us. The Holy Spirit is described as a fire, an everlasting fire. And he is our eternal flame. For believers, God places his spirit in us for a lot of reasons, for counsel, for equipping, for strength. But one of those reasons, as we just read, is that it is a deposit. It's a guarantee. It's a symbol of the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and me. It's a reminder that this life is not all there is, that we're working toward eternity, that we can be saved and know we're saved because we have the presence of God in our lives. He is our seal, our guarantee that one day Jesus will come again and take us to be with him. These characteristics show that our relationship with God is indestructible. The final characteristic of this father-child relationship. The Messiah's everlasting father. The father-child relationship is an indispensable relationship. You cannot live without it. Now, you can be alive and breathe, yes, but you cannot live eternally without it. You cannot survive. He is our one and only hope of eternity. I mean, we will, we're built for eternity. We were never built just for this life. Your body will die, your spirit will go on. We all have a soul. We were not built just for the here and now. And we cannot make it into eternity without salvation. Jesus Christ is our hope. There's a study from several years ago that talks about how being hopeful about your future is is beneficial to your health. 
It was a study among senior adults, and the, the, the study asked several questions uh, about whether or not people were hopeful. And when they got the results, 795 people were, were, were studied over a period of years, and they were asked the question whether or not they were hopeful about their future. 9% of those people studied said no. Well, they followed these people for five years. 9% of those people polled said, no, I have no hope about my future. Well, within five years, 11% of the people who were hopeful had passed away compared to 30% of the people who were not hopeful about their future. Five years. Because they, they didn't have anything to look forward to. I mean, they, they weren't looking toward the future. Now, there may have been a lot of reasons for that, but it just shows the power of hope. It shows the power of being assured, having assurance, having confidence in your future. And we, according to Scripture, according to who God is, the characteristics of our eternal Father, everlasting, eternal, faithful, sure, all of the things that we've talked about, the characteristics of salvation, we have tremendous reason to be hopeful about our future. Now, I don't know what tomorrow will bring for you, I mean, there may be heartache, there may be pain, there may be suffering, and at some point there will be in your life to some degree if you haven't experienced it already. But this world is not God's final plan for us. His final plan for us is eternity in heaven where there is no pain, there is no suffering, and there is no death. That is reason to be hopeful. And that, can, that, that eternal perspective makes it possible with God's strength and his power from day to day to take anything that life can bring, to endure any amount of suffering or challenge that we have, that we're asked to endure. We have reason to be hopeful. We have tremendous reason. Jesus will never let us go, and he is our access to God the Father. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. He gives us access to God the Father. He is our hope and our security. And we get to the Father through Christ. We were separated from God by sin. We now have access to the Father. And our relationship with God is indispensable to us because He is our hope of eternity. And an important distinction, He is our satisfying hope for eternity. He satisfies. He satisfies our needs in this life. He sustains, he provides, but he satisfies our greatest need, a need we could not meet ourselves, the need for salvation. Jesus Christ is our everlasting father because he gives us everlasting life. He frees us from sin, the burden of sin and the penalty of sin. David elaborates on this in Psalm 145, verse 16 to 19, when he said this about God. He said, when you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their, their cries for help and rescues them. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He gives us his desires and he meets those desires. And we are satisfied in him. He hears our cries for help. Even if no one else, even if you don't think you have anyone else to turn to, God is always present. Christ is always there. And he's always ready to provide and to help, to strengthen, to comfort 
All of the things that he does, his presence in our lives. He is our loving and eternal Father. And when functioning in the Spirit, this is one of the great gifts I mentioned earlier, when functioning in the Spirit, the earthly father-child relationship is a great example of the relationship that God desires for us with him. And you can see, and not, not only that, it's a great model for us to follow as dads, as parents, but that earthly father-child relationship. And a few years ago, I, I, I looked into some studies that were done about the impact of fathers on their child in terms of their success. Several studies were done, done over a period of years. And, you know, I'm talking about uh, fathers here, but listen, a lot of this is so very applicable to moms, right? Dads, we're the spiritual leaders of our home, so it begins with us, and studies bear that out too. But the studies are very clear that, that the presence and involvement, something we should know but need to be reminded of, the presence and involvement of fathers in the lives of their kids uh, has great, is a great contributing factor to whether or not your kids are going to be successful in life. Um, four decades of research shows that the more involved a dad is, the more successful those kids will be in terms of their social life, their success in school, their future achievements. And here's the point. Involved dads equal successful children. I mean, that's not always true, of course. You know, I mean, free will. Some kids, no matter what you do, grow up and make bad decisions. That, that happens. But overall, overwhelmingly, involved dads equal successful children. It starts as early as birth. The Father Involvement Research Alliance showed that uh, after years of study, more that, that babies with involved fathers are more likely to be emotionally secure, confident in new situations, more eager to explore their surroundings. Uh, they grow to be more sociable as they develop. Toddlers with involved fathers, the IQs develop faster and to a greater degree than those who do not have involved fathers. They're more ready to start school, to start to branch out on their own. They're more prepared emotionally for that when their fathers are involved. At school, children of involved fathers do better academically. There's a study by the Department of Education that showed children of highly involved fathers were 43% more likely than other children to make A's and 33% less likely to repeat a grade. Their fathers are involved. They're less likely to have behavior problems like depression and other things at school, um, other behavior problems at school. Um, the, the Father Alliance Review Research Alliance Review taught, looked at girls specifically. And girls with involved fathers have a higher self-esteem than those who don't. Teenage girls are less likely to become pregnant when their fathers are involved in their lives. Boys, as, as young adults, boys show less aggression, less impulsivity, more self-direction. They're more motivated. As young adults, they, they, they go on to achieve, on average, higher levels of education. They're more motivated. They find success. They're more likely to find success in their careers. Adults who had involved fathers are more likely to have strong social bonds with other people in their lives and successful relationships with their spouse and other individuals. Here's the really amazing part of these findings. As I read through this research, come through this research, it's the everyday activities that are the most important. Just... Spending time 
with your kids, playing games, helping them with homework, even watching television, just being around your kids consistently day in and day out. More than like big trips, which also contribute to healthy kids, but you know, going on big memorable trips, those are important, but it's not those that make the lasting impressions on your kids. It's being involved day after day after day after day in the seemingly mundane activities of your kids' lives. That's what makes the most important difference. They said, although participation in balanced family leisure activities is important and needed, it was father's involvement in everyday home-based common family leisure activities that held more weight than the large, extravagant, out-of-the-ordinary types of activities when examining family functioning. Now listen, I know that we live in an imperfect world, and I know that some of you are single parents to no fault of your own. And you're doing your best to raise your kids in a single parent home. Let me tell you that we know that that is a struggle. And we are here as a church for you, to support you, and to help you. More importantly, God knows where you are. And his grace is sufficient to meet all of your and your child's needs. Okay? I know that that is the real world. And that is where we live. And we are called to minister to those who are in situations like that, and we want to do that. But listen, there is no denying that God's design for the family is what's best. And fathers, we play such an important role in the development of our kids. It cannot be denied what a huge responsibility it is for us as spiritual leaders of our homes. And I'm talking to dads today because, again, it begins there. The study states simply, dad is destiny. More than any other factor, a father's presence in the family will determine the success and happiness of that child. More than anything else. And again, God's grace is sufficient in those places where that's not possible. But we who are dads need to take this responsibility seriously. The Heavenly Father's presence in our life, in the day-to-day activities. Dads, you want to be successful? Well, the model is there. The, the Heavenly Father's presence in the everyday activities of my life will determine my success as a father, as a pastor, as a man of God. It all begins with my relationship with Him. And, and, and so let's, let's, let's take this and apply this practically before we finish today. How does God's, that father-child relationship as parents, again, starting with dads because we're the spiritual leaders, but moms too, as, as, as those of you that, that hope to be parents, those of you that have influence over other people, how does this apply to us on an everyday basis? How does God's presence in our life impact us on a day-to-day basis as we influence our kids and others for Christ. Well, I brought my toolbox with me. I've got a couple of toolboxes, but I searched through and I found a couple of things to kind of illustrate what God does for us. Um, A lot of different ways God impacts our life. Um, And there are a lot of different tools that you could use, but just a few that I thought of, starting with a measuring tape. You know, what do we do with a measuring tape? Pretty, Pretty easy answer, right? You measure Okay, it is, what do we measure by? The marks, which are a standard, right? I mean, that shows the value, the length or whatever of whatever you're measuring. There is a standard that gives us that measurement. Well, that's what God does for us, right? 
I mean, he is, he sets our, if we submit to him, he sets our standard. I mean, he, he gives us our values. We look to him for what's right and wrong, and we base our lives on that. Father-child relationship. Dads, isn't this what we're supposed to do with our kids? They get our values, whether we're intentional about it or not, your kids are going to get their values from you. So we need to be intentional about giving the right values to our kids. We set a standard for them. They watch us. They're watching us to see if, if we know what we're talking about, if we believe what we're talking about. And so we set the standard for our kids. We are a measuring stick for our kids. A couple other things. Let's see. Choose. Let's see. I got a saw. Here we go. How about this? A saw. What do you do with a saw? You cut things, right? This specifically is a drywall saw. It's made for, you know, fine cuts, uh, making small holes, big holes, or whatever. You're shaping. You shape with a saw. It's one of the things you do, right? You're cutting something down to a certain size, or you're shaping it. It's the same sandpaper. I got a thing of sandpaper. What do you do with sandpaper? You, you smooth things over. You shape things. Well, that's what God does for us, right? He cuts away the things that shouldn't be there if we submit to him. He shapes us. As we go through life, as we grow, he shapes us. He, he smooths off the rough edges, and we've got a lot of them, don't we? Some of us need a little bit more smoothing than others. <laughs> but we've all got areas of our life as we grow, God trims us. He prunes us, the vine and the branches. And that's what we're supposed to do for our kids. We set boundaries for our kids. We correct them. We shape them. We are called to shape our children and to teach them how to be adults how to be functioning adults, adults who love the Lord and who grow in the Lord. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? How about a stapler? I got a stapler here. What do you do with a stapler? You attach things, you connect things, right? I, I didn't have a roll of duct tape, but you know, duct tape will do that for anything, right? Duct tape fixes anything. You attach things, um, you connect things. And that's what God does. Jesus Christ, our eternal Father, connects us with God the Father. And he connects us with himself. And, and folks, dads especially, our job as parents is to connect our kids, to point them to Jesus. And they're looking to us again. They're looking, first of all, to see if you're connected to Jesus. Do you go to church regularly? Do you read your Bible? It's not enough just to send your kids to church. Go with them, which you're here today, so you have. But modeling this in our lives, do we study God's word? Do we spend time in prayer? Are we connected to God? Because if we're not connected, how are we going to connect our kids to God? But that's what we're supposed to do. So you've got your stapler and then the level. Use level because, you know, you want to get things right. You want to get them level. You know, if something's off, you, you tip it back. You want to get, if you're hanging a shelf or whatever, you want it to be straight. And we, you know, God does that for us, right? He disciplines us. You know, we get off track and, you know, he gets us back on track. Um, we commit a sin, he corrects us. He shows us, he convicts us of that sin. We confess, we turn from that sin, and we turn to him. We do the same for our kids, right? Based on what we believe is right and wrong, communicated to us through God's word, our kids do something wrong, whether it be, you know, uh, you know messing with the trailer hitch or whatever. We correct our kids. We get them back in line, you know, discipline, whatever it takes. We want to get our kids to teach them right from wrong, and, and to teach them God's standard of living so that they will live properly. One last thing. i got a couple of wrenches here. 
use wrenches for two things, right? You tighten and loosen. You, you've know, you know the phrase, righty tighty, lefty loosey, right? Well, some of us, this is what God does for us. He, he turns us in the right direction. Some of us are a little lefty loosey, and we need to be righty tighty. So God takes us and turns us away from sin and turns us to Christ. And that's what we as dads are called to do for our children. We should always, and here's the point of all of this, we should always be pointing our families to Jesus. And the way we do that is that we live for Christ, have a relationship with Him, we grow in Him, we live for Him, we model this in our lives. We model this father-child relationship pointing our families to God because just like for us, this father-child relationship is indispensable for us. We cannot live without it. Dads, moms, our kids cannot survive without a relationship with Christ. And so as he shows us his love, as he is involved in the everyday activities of our lives, we point them to Jesus so that they can experience the same thing. Jesus Christ is our eternal father, as described as such. And within that relationship, there's so much that impacts our lives on a day-to-day basis. Jesus is how we know the Father. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And he says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is our access to God the Father. Among so many other things, the greatest impact of Jesus as everlasting Father is that he makes it possible for us to have relationship with our Creator. And it is a relationship that is true, it is secure, it will never end, it will never fail, and there's nothing that can change that. Let's just take a moment, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, and let me ask about your relationship with God the Father. Do you have a relationship with God the Father? Are you secure in your salvation this morning? You know, as a parent, are you pointing your family to Jesus? If you're not a parent, are you pointing others to Jesus? Are you modeling this relationship because God is at work in your life and you're growing in your salvation, you're growing in your faith? You know, how, how does this application, how does this hit you? The characteristics of God as eternal father and that father-child relationship, are you needing that? Are you longing for that? Are you lacking in growing in that? What, what is it that God has shown you through this message today? And how do you need to respond? Father, all of us, none of us can survive without this relationship with you. Yes, we can live and breathe physically, but eternally we are lost without hope unless we know you as Lord and Savior, as everlasting Father. And I pray that if there is somebody here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would accept the gift of salvation, the greatest Christmas gift of all, the only Christmas gift that has eternal impact, your gift of your life. 
an everlasting life to us who would receive it. I pray that if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you, that they would come during this time of commitment and accept that gift. Lord, I pray that for those of us who know you, I pray that we would just allow you to search our hearts and show us where we are in this relationship. Uh, Are we growing? Are we faithful? Are we modeling this for our kids? Are we pointing them to you and being... um, what we should be in terms of teaching them all that they need to know about you. For those uh, that don't have kids, we all have people in our lives that we're called to influence, to disciple. Are we pointing people to you? Are we living as an example of what it means to be a disciple of yours? Uh, Lord, there may be other decisions you're leading us to make, church membership, baptism, whatever it is, Lord. I, I just pray that we would listen to your voice in this moment and that we would respond, that we would be faithful as you are always faithful. And we thank you for the opportunity to respond. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?